right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Amanda Neppel, and I'm the discipleship director here at Hope Des Moines. And listen, if we, it's too bad on a day like today that we don't believe in like a point system, because you guys here at 9.15 on New Year's Day totally would score extra points. <laughs> Just to be clear, we don't believe in that, okay? So I don't want there to be any confusion whatsoever. Um, but hey, I am really glad to be here with you all this morning. This is awesome to be able to worship together on New Year's Day. This would normally be, you know, like, I don't know, if I had a different talent, skill set, I would have put together some really cool video when we would have shown a bunch of highlights of things that we had done here from 2016. And part of me wishes I had that skill set. I don't necessarily at all. I mean, not at all whatsoever. So instead, we have a slide with like eight just static pictures on it, okay, uh, to uh, just kind of remind us and celebrate what God has done here at Hope Des Moines through the year of 2016. Last night um, at the five o'clock service, I couldn't really believe it. We started that service last January, so we haven't quite been doing that for a year yet, but it kind of feels like it's just been a part of who we've been forever. We started that on January 30th of 2016. Uh, last year, we had kind of some impromptu baptisms, and we had a lot of people. I meant to get the number before I came up today, but it was over 50 people, I believe, who were baptized for the first time or did a reaffirmation of their baptism. That's amazing. We packaged meals for Meals from the Heartland during Lent. Uh, that that was a great time, cleared out the worship center and had the tables and things set up. We did the first ever Hope Art event and party in the parking lot. That was a great time. It was only 8,000 degrees that day, if you remember. It was a pretty warm day, but that was an awful lot of fun. Um, what else did we do? Uh, VBS, of course, always a good time. That picture up there in the corner of the Hope building, you it's, it's hard to tell. I know it's hard to tell, I'm sorry. But if you look at the windows, you can see that there's a bunch of different stuff hanging in the windows. And the reason the windows are full of clutter is because we started a preschool this year at Hope Des Moines. Who could have seen that one coming, right? And so we just say, wow, God, you are awesome. Your plans are so much bigger than what we could ever imagine or what we could ever dream of. And isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? So we just thank God for what he's done, and we just look forward to what's going to happen in 2017, right? Some of these things, we will do them again, and no doubt God will show up, and we wait anxiously to see what else God has in store for us. So uh, that was my little review of 2016, not particularly high-tech, but there you go. So anyway, there is just something about a new year, isn't there? There's just this sense of possibility and sense of what could possibly happen just by the, the act of uh, putting up a new calendar on our wall, right? There's this sense of, of new things that can happen. Uh, and of course, the news and, and TV and all that are uh, kind of showing us the things that uh, have happened in 2016. Of course, then also trying to sell us whatever the latest gadget will be that'll finally be the thing that gets us like past our habits and our uh, ourselves, frankly. And if we can just spend the money on this right thing, it'll be the thing that makes us finally able to keep that new Year's resolution that we've never been able to keep before. But this, this is our year, right? Uh, there's something about a new year where optimism and hope just springs eternal. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But I think that it's awesome then to begin a new year, begin this idea of imagining what the possibilities might be, what God might have in store for us. And to do that through the lens of these three magi that we heard read about today in Matthew chapter 2. 
as you may know, we st- a couple weeks ago we were in Matthew. We talked about Joseph. Matthew is the first book of our New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was actually written first, um, but then Matthew kind of comes along and expands on some of the things that Mark said. The reason there's four different versions of this story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection if any of you have ever been in a relationship of any kind, <laughs> you're married or you've, been date, you've dated or, or whatever, maybe you can attest to this, that it's amazing how two people can see the exact same thing happen. But then later, they experienced it in completely different ways. Has anybody with me on this, right? Have you ever had that happen? Jed is acknowledging that yes, yes he has. So that's awesome. I've got four kids. I can't even believe how the same thing can yield four completely different stories, right? All with just, you know, that much truth to it, right? But that's in relation to my kids. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling the same story with four different perspectives, four different vantage points. And Matthew takes what Mark has done and he's kind of expanded on it and added some things to it that, that Mark didn't have in his, in his account of the gospel. And so when we are looking at Matthew, Matthew's perspective, his, at least what he's trying to do in these first two chapters, is he really wants us to see how everything that has happened, how the birth of this Messiah has happened exactly the way the prophet said that it was going to. He repeats this phrase in, math, in chapters 1 and chapter 2 several times where he says something on the lines of, it happened like this just as the prophet said. In chapter 1, verse 22, when he's talking about Joseph, he said, yes, and it happened this way, just as the prophets said it would. In chapter 2, verse 5, that we heard read just a few minutes ago, uh, the, the priests tell them that, of course, the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem because that's what the prophets said. In chapter 2, verse 15, Matthew says again that the events happened like this, just as the prophets said that it would. He quotes Isaiah, Hosea excuse me, in uh, 2.15. And just a couple verses later in 2.17, he's talking about the just incredibly brutal act that Herod did when he decreed that babies, uh, baby boys that were two years old and younger should be killed because he was worried about this newborn king of the Jews. And Matthew says, even Jeremiah said that this was going to happen. Matthew is really trying to drive home this point that this happened just the way the prophet said that it would. He's speaking to an audience of people who would know their scriptures, and so he wants them to know this is how it happened. He's not trying to be subtle. He's not trying to beat around the bush. He wants them to know this is how it was going to happen. But at the same time, there's something else that Matthew is up to. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 1, what we heard read today. Which, by the way, I was reading the board back there with uh, different folks' New Year's resolutions and, and things that they want to do. There's a lot of you that are, want to know God more this year. And if I could be so bold, uh, one way to do that is to know what God said. And one way to know what God said is to read his word. This Bible is a daily walk Bible. It's really cool. It breaks down... It goes by date, so you can get through the Bible in a year um, if you look at those dates. And now I just lost my page, so that was super smart. Um, but if those dates like are too much pressure, that's okay. You can just totally ignore them. You don't have to do what it says. It also is really cool because 
uh, at the beginning of each daily reading, and it will kind of give you an overview of what it's about. So if you're thinking, yeah, I've tried to read the Bible, but it didn't make sense to me, this kind of helps tie it together for you in a way if you're new to it. So anyway, that was, that was for free, just my two cents. Uh, you can pick these up in West Des Moines, or they're available online if you would like to uh, learn more about God's word if you'd like to get through it this year. That would be awesome. So anyway, Matthew chapter 2, he's said over and over that this has happened the way the prophets have said this was going to happen. But now he has a second point that he wants to make. Uh, the Magi have traveled to Jerusalem and they find Herod and they say to him in verse 2, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So it wasn't just Herod that heard this, it was everyone in Jerusalem. And so Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And then Matthew goes on to, to repeat the words of the prophet. And then the Magi go and look they follow the star, they go and look for this little baby, <clears throat> but nobody else who heard that followed them. That's interesting, right? Nobody else who heard that there was something exciting, something else going on, something they might want to get in on, nobody else went with the Magi. It was the Magi, these foreigners, these people from way out of town, who were the ones who went to visit the baby. Now, it's true, and, and maybe this is why the, the leading priest didn't get too excited. For one thing, there were a lot of people who claimed to be the Messiah. This wasn't like a new thing that people just started doing. It was pretty common for people to say that they were the, the Messiah, the one that God had sent. And also, these magi from the east, <clears throat> they were astrologers. So they studied the stars, and they used the stars to kind of plot out kind of what was going on, much like how folks might refer to a horoscope or whatever today. And so <clears throat> this is something that God has expressly said we are not to mess with. We shouldn't be looking for, you know, what the stars have for us, what the stars might have to say about this, that, or whatever. And it's not because God's worried that you're going to get some insider information from your horoscope that he didn't want you to have. It has a lot more to do with the fact that when, when God brought the people out of slavery in Israel through Moses, the people came out of slavery just as we have been released from slavery to sin. And God said, here's the thing. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You are to have no other gods beside me. So what God's trying to say is you can't serve two masters. You can't study your horoscope and say out of one side of your mouth that you trust me, you trust my plan for your life, and out of the other side of your mouth say that you've got some really great information from your horoscope that now it's going to make you, this guy is the one or she's not the one or whatever the case may be. So, so it's, that could be part of the reason why the Magi didn't listen too much to these guys because they were messing with something that they weren't really supposed to be messing with, and that's true. But Matthew was saying they were there. They went and they found this child. Now, whether or not there were three of them, whether or not they got there at the manger, whether they showed up, if Mary and Joseph lived in Bethlehem for a while, honestly, not a huge deal. It doesn't really matter. But these magi, so far outside of the in crowd, were the ones who, who followed the star with a sense of curiosity and a sense of awe and a sense of wonder and a sense of, we have to find out what this is. We have to find out what this is all about. How many of you have every single Christmas decoration in your house packed up? I do. 
I'm just saying. How many of you are going to work on it today? Yep, yep, absolutely. How many of you didn't put out a single Christmas decoration? Not very many people responded to my comment. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, but I was thinking about all this as I was wrapping these, these guys up, right? These three wise men who went to visit the baby Jesus. They were so far out. Like, we think about the shepherds who went to visit Jesus, that the angel told them to go see Jesus, and we think about kind of their role in different things, and, and we know that to be a shepherd, you were just a little bit possibly morally flexible, right? Uh, you, ha- you, you didn't get that job because everything had gone super great for you, and you had, you know, if you were a shepherd, you were kind of willing to take on some other sheep that maybe didn't belong to you, but, but you were part of that culture, People wouldn't have been surprised to see a shepherd. Can you imagine thinking about this, uh, this, this manger, this nativity scene, and these strangers showing up? Even if, if Mary and Joseph had set up a home in Bethlehem and, and they showed up at their home, that'd be weird, right? That would be odd. And so these wise men, however many of them there were, were so far outside of what anyone could have guessed. So Matthew says, yes, this happened exactly the way the prophet said it was going to happen, but it was so much more than that. It was more than what anyone could have ever guessed or what anyone could have imagined. If a person had made up that story, they wouldn't have included these these people who traveled from eastern lands from so far away to see this baby. And ultimately, in their search, then they were rewarded and they found what they were looking for. It's New Year's Day, right? And the New Year has a way of reminding us and encouraging us, I think. It reminds us of hope. It reminds us, I think, that we are people of hope. I think that human beings, regardless of, of where you come from, regardless of whatever else is going on, I think human beings are hardwired in some way to think or believe that tomorrow has the possibility of being better than today. I don't think that's a uniquely Christian trait. I mean, we can look around the world and we can see all of the different things that are going on, um, the stories that come out of Aleppo and different places in the world. Human beings absolutely have to be hardwired to believe that tomorrow has the possibility to be better. Otherwise, what would we do? How would we get out of bed some days? And then I think if you add faith in Jesus to that, to a knowledge of Jesus' death and his resurrection, then all of a sudden, as Christians, our hope is so much bigger because we've looked into it and we have seen that redemption is possible. We believe and we know that transformation is possible, that we can be better because of what Jesus has done tomorrow than we are today, that we have hope that things are going to be better. Paul says that there are three things that are going to last forever, faith, hope, and love. Love is the greatest of these because it was love that was poured out of Jesus on the cross, and because of that, faith, hope, and love will last forever. Not even the Star Wars franchise is going to outlast faith, hope, and love. I hate to tell you. And as we've seen this week, um, and at this time of year, we always kind of remember those that we've lost during the year. Um, Our earthly bodies come with an expiration date, right? They are not going to last forever, but faith, hope, and love 
will last forever. And it's hope, I believe, that gives us the ability to do something so audaciously optimistic as to set a New Year's resolution. Any of you? No, you don't have to raise your hand. That's fine. But I'm thinking that probably almost all of us here in the room have at some point in our life set a New Year's resolution, right? Or at least something that you're thinking that you want to work on during the new year, or something that you hope is going to happen in the new year. And, and you can think about what that is. If you're sitting here thinking, no, I've never done that before, well, then you need to resolve to stop lying to yourself. <laughs> because we have all, at some point or another, thought, yeah, you know, this is going to be the year that I fill in the blank. Now, in 2017, research, people who do research on this kinds of thing have said that the top resolution has actually changed. In 2014, 15, and 16, the top resolution was to lose weight. In 2017, we have given up. And now, and now the top resolution is to, you ready for this? Be a better person. Now, here's the thing about that resolution. First of all, that's really great. Second of all, it is so supremely vague, like congratulations if that's your resolution, you are almost guaranteed to succeed, because here's the thing, an extra 10 bucks to charity next December 31st, yes, better person. One more meal at home with your family, nailed it, better person, right? So, I mean, that's, it's one way to think about it, okay? Um, the research also tells us that actually only 44% of us will make a New Year's resolution in the, in the sense of the term that we're maybe used to. And that's actually up 5%. It used to be 39% of us would make a New Year's resolution. But uh, so in other words, that means that there's 56% of us who just wash our hands of the whole thing. Now, <laughs> now I'm also willing to bet though that because we're human, that maybe we don't call it a New Year's resolution, but I'm willing to bet that for many of us, there are things that we are either looking forward to in the new year or there are things that we are hoping to see happen in the new year. Maybe this is the year that you have been working to pay off some debt, and maybe this is, in 2017, if everything goes according to schedule, maybe this is the year that you get that paid off. Or maybe this is the year that you hope to start a family. Or maybe this is the year that you know, you're, you know you're going to start a family. There's one on the way. Or this is the year that you plan to get married. Or various different things that, that you imagine 2017 is going to bring for you. I can certainly um, relate to that. A lot of times we'll do, we'll, 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 there'll be like goals, right, instead of a resolution. A goal, I think, kind of allows us a little bit more for the ups and downs, successes and failures uh, than a resolution does. A resolution seems very black and white, and once you've had that first donut, then forget it, it's all over with, right? Um, but there are a lot of, there are just things that, that we look forward to that, that we imagine are going to happen for us in this year. I can say specifically for myself, and there's a point to this, it's not just to tell you about myself, so stay with me. Um, but about five years ago, I started this journey of going to seminary. And this is, I'm in my fifth year of it. Now, when I started this, my oldest was 11, and now she drives a car, and then my youngest was four, and so a lot has happened during that time. It's been five years. I've got one semester left. And I'm not going to lie, <laughs> I really can't wait. <laughs> it, has not been, it has not been an easy thing to accomplish, but 2017 is the year that it's done. And I'm telling you this because this was always kind of a thing that God and I were wrestling about for a very long time. 
And um, I've told you a little bit about that, and I just kind of put it away. I didn't really think about it. And then I was in my, my early 30s, and I knew that in my life, in my, whatever my vocation was going to be, that I was just kind of treading water, okay? Like, and that's fine. Um, but then I found myself praying again and saying, God, you know, what, what is it that you want for me to do? What is, what is it that you want this next phase to be? And it was just that this very clear, undeniable call that, well, I want you, I want you to go to seminary. And I thought that was the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. Like, that just didn't make any sense whatsoever. So I was wrestling back and forth with that, forth with that and I was telling God all the reasons why that was really, frankly, one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard in my entire life. And what it was coming down to, really, for me, was this idea that I have four kids, and this idea of, first of all, just, just the time commitment, number one, and then number two, it seemed like what I should be doing would be saving to prepare for them to go to school. I shouldn't be spending that money. We should be saving it for them. It's a legitimate argument. But what I was really thinking about was I had, I'd had that time. I'd gone to college. I'd done that thing. If I'd wanted to do some graduate work, I should have done it right after I got my first degree. And so the thoughts that I kept having and the arguments that I kept making all centered around this idea that I had in my head, which was, it's too late. I missed it. It's too late. And I'm telling you that because I don't think that I'm the only person who's ever felt like it was too late. I don't think I'm the only person who's ever thought that I had an opportunity and I missed it and now God can't fix it. Or that a relationship has gone so far in a certain direction for a long time that now it's too late and it can't be fixed. Or whatever the circumstances, I, I am sure that I'm not the only person, regardless of the circumstance, who has said to themselves, it's too late. The Bible is full of people who spent the first seven, eight, nine decades of their life being involved in a set of circumstances that then finally brought them to where God wanted them to be. Um, Noah, Abraham, Moses, just to name a couple, are, are people who were well, well along in their life journey before they realized what it was that God wanted them to do. Even the disciples, for that matter, had set their lives on a certain course, right? And it took a lot of courage when Jesus showed up and said, hey, I want to spend some time with me, follow me, to dump every, to drop their nets and to say, okay, I'll look into this, I'll check it out, right? <clears throat> Those stories are, we can read them all throughout the Bible, but sometimes we think, okay, well, that was the Bible, that was totally different. And then I saw a news story on Friday morning, I was watching CBS this morning, which I usually don't watch, but I was on that particular day, and I heard about this woman named Carmen Herrera. Has anybody ever heard of her? Anybody else watching CBS on Friday morning? <laughs> okay, all right, well, anyway, there she is, Carmen Herrera. Carmen Herrera was born in 1915 in Cuba. So if you do the math, she is 101 years old. And 2016, at 101, she got her first solo exhibit at the Whitney Museum of Art at 101. Guys, she didn't sell her first painting until she was 89 years old. 89 years old is when she finally sold her first painting. Now, I don't know, but I can only imagine that at some point during her 60s or 70s or early 80s, she had to be thinking, 
you know, maybe it's time to put the pencil down. Maybe this isn't quite going to work out. But her story has this amazing ending. At 89 years old, she sold her first painting. At 101 years old, she got her first solo exhibit. And I've said her story has a happy ending. I don't, I don't know. I can imagine that by the time you get to 101 years old, you wake up some days and it's probably a surprise. I, I'm not sure, right? But I'm thinking, obviously, we can all agree that she's got more behind her than she has in front of her. And so she followed this dream of hers and she kept going and she was a person of hope and she didn't, she didn't let it go. And in the same way, she followed her art. Maybe she was, you can be cynical and you can say maybe she was just lucky. A lot of artists don't get uh, discovered, if you will, until after they die. So maybe she was just lucky. Maybe that's what it came down to. But at the same time, if we think about her compared and uh, look at her at the same way as the Magi, she was following her art. These Magi were just following a star. They were just following a star that showed up in the sky and they decided that the only thing that they could do was go to follow the star. So sure, maybe she just followed what was in front of her and maybe the Magi just happened to randomly, accidentally follow the star and end up at the feet of Jesus. It's a new year and we are people of hope. And we can say to ourselves that it's too late or we can say that we are people of hope and that we don't give up and not because that's an easy thing to do because it's not, but we do it because we know that we're not alone. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it's chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, that because of who God is, because of who God is and what Jesus has done, we may be pressed by troubles, but we are not crushed. We might be perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We might be hunted down, but we are never abandoned. And we might be knocked to the ground, but we are never destroyed. We might be knocked down, but we are never destroyed. Because of what Christ has done, the three things that remain are faith, hope, and love. Because Christ showed up, because God was not content to watch from the sidelines. He came for those who would recognize him, who should have, could have recognized him, but he came for, for those as well who were so completely outside the realm of those who were in the in-group, who were so completely outside the possibility of the people that this son, this baby might have shown up for, the people who were messing with things that they should not have been messing with, and lo and behold, it landed them at the feet of Jesus. We are people of hope because of what God has done. We may be knocked down, but we are not destroyed. There was a little movie that came out uh, last year around this time, kind of a low budget. I don't know, maybe you heard of it. Uh, Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens. Yeah. Uh, every single character in that movie Every single character in that movie has something that they are running from. There's baggage, there's stuff that's going on in their life, either stuff that they have done that has created this kind of prison for themselves or things that others have done to them. But whatever it is, they're walking around with, with hurt and with baggage and with junk. And in the, the main character in this movie, her name is Ray. And she is trying to figure out, she's trying to figure out her story. She's trying to figure out what, where she fits, and she has so many questions. And in the meantime, in the midst of all of this, it is undeniable. She can't escape the fact that she is called to something 
even though she doesn't really understand what it is, and frankly, she doesn't really want it. <clears throat> but there's something going on, and she's on a search to try and get some answers to try and understand. So as we take a look at this clip, try and see if you can't see the hope, if you can't relate just a little bit to the Magi who were searching. Take a look. Whatever happens from here, it's a fresh start. <clears throat> Whatever happens from here, it's a new page in the story. And it's not because I say so. It's because of what Christ has done. It's because of what Christ has done. His love poured out for each and every one of us that faith, hope, and love last forever. And it's not just because he came here on earth and spent some time with us. It's because he poured out his love for us, which is why it's so fitting and so wonderful that today we get to celebrate with the Lord's Supper. This new thing that Christ did, this new covenant that he made with his body and his blood means that no matter what happens from here, we get a new start. It was on the night that he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples. <clears throat> they were sharing a meal together. And Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body poured out for you, given for you, broken for you, for, and for all people. Do this in the remembrance of me. And then in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this wine is my blood. This is my blood which I freely and willingly shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Will you stand with me and let's pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.